I've now started drawing things that for me represent change or growth in different ways. And so the same way that we take photos of babies as they're growing and you're like, oh, you were this high. We stop doing that as adults. We stop really commending ourselves for what we've done well, the things that we love, the challenges we've overcome, because all of that is a beautiful reminder of where you can get to in the future. This episode is sponsored by the trusted and highly concentrated Omega-3 brand, Minami. Did you know that it's important to consider an Omega-3 supplement if you do not consume one to two portions of oily fish a week? Omega-3s contribute to a normal brain function, healthy heart and vision. And lucky for you, Minami is a brand I would wholeheartedly recommend for the family as they stand out from the rest. They are omega-3 experts. Minami is one of the highest concentrated and pure omega-3s available in the market. So you get more omega-3 nutrition per soft gel, which means fewer capsules to swallow. They have a high concentration of 90 to 95% of omega-3 per capsule. They are free from solvents and fillers, and they have a low environmental impact sourcing sustainable fish species from unpolluted waters of the South Pacific. I am a huge believer in the importance of Omega-3 for our health. You can find out more about Manami products online at www.revital.co.uk and if you use the code SAM15, you can get 15% off any Manami product until the end of April. Thank you very much, Manami, for sponsoring. And you can check out that code in the show notes. Welcome to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin. In today's episode, we explore how to be your most authentic self and not fear change. Authenticity to me is an interesting word because so many times we can go through our life thinking we might be authentic and truly happy. But underneath it all, we're actually not. And so the question I want to ask is, how do we show up and recognise ourselves fully to make changes, to access our happiness and to access our full purpose? We can have an infinite amount of new chapters in our lives and starting on these transitions can feel incredibly fearful. Today's episode, I have a fantastic expert who is a happiness consultant, and she is on a mission to build robust change makers out of the next generation of leaders. Samantha Clark applies philosophies and neuroscience with therapeutic and positive psychology processes to instill deep resilience and well-being, to give people the strength to power through and make important changes to drive the key of their own happiness and purpose. This is a really interesting episode where we delve really into oneself and actually how to not fear change, but actually embrace it. Samantha, welcome to Live Well, Be Well today. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming, but we're here. 
It has. It's been a long wait. But I have to say one that I'm so excited about. We had a conversation about everything that you're doing, what we want to speak about today, about a month ago. So I am just so excited to delve into it. So let's start at the beginning. You are a happiness consultant. You're an author. Yes. And also a change maker. But anyone who's listening to this is like, wow, happiness consultant. So I thought by maybe starting off with a few stats around happiness before we define actually what it means. So I was looking at the World Happiness Report, and I love that that report exists. Yes. (laughs) And it shows that the UK has suffered more than most when it comes to happiness. So the UK has fallen five places on a listing rank of nations by happiness. And that's been one of the greatest casualties of the coronavirus pandemic. And the researchers constructing the World Happiness Report said that the measure for life evaluation in the UK fell from 7.16 in 2019 to 6.8 in 2020, which is a statistically significant change. Now, before we delve into why that might be the case, How do we even define happiness? I guess that's my first question to you. Happiness has had lots of definitions over the years. And when we think about it from one point of view, it could be what is the satisfaction that I'm getting from my life? And if we look at it from positive psychology and Martin Seligman's point of view, he says that, you know, to be truly happy, we need to have a balance of positive emotions. We need to really think about how engaged we are in our life and the work that we do? Do we find meaning in everything that we're doing? What are our relationships? You know, are we cultivating relationships that nourish us and help us to thrive? And then where is our sense of accomplishment? You know, are we feeling that sense that we are making headway towards our goals and we're seizing, you know, new opportunities? I tend to agree that actually happiness is that culmination of that contentment and joy that you find in the day-to-day. It's definitely not about hunting this destination. It is really cultivating each and every day. How do I find that contentment, that peace, and that joy within myself? And how do I start to cultivate relationships, give reciprocal nourishment? And, you know, I've been focused a lot in the work happiness space. So are we doing work that really helps us to show up with intentionality, purpose and deeper meaning? So those are the things that I try to use as my happiness compass. I support my clients to think about happiness compass. You know, what are the values that you want to walk in action to live by daily? And so for me, it is about living my values in action. So really thinking about every day, what are the kinds of values I want to walk in alignment with? You know, having that zest for life. I love creativity. I'm really drawn by just things that light me up creatively. I have a thirst for knowledge. So for me, I'm very curious about the world. And that really brings me a lot of happiness. I think seeking the positive emotions is also on my compass point. You know, finding even in the challenges, how do I look at it from a different perspective and see, you know, who is this shaping me to become? Who's the leader I can be today? So that's how I generally like to think about happiness. I don't think it can be pinned to the wall. I think it can mean a lot of things for people, but those are the punctuated points that I live by and I support my clients to. I love this 
notion of a happiness compass. I just think it really shows the different directions of where happiness can be. And I think that's really important. And I guess when you're doing these talks to leaders or to people in the workplace, I wonder if there's a self-reflection of people thinking, well, on paper, I'm happy. But how truly happy actually am I? And I think you did such an eloquent way of describing to feel curious. And these are the things that really electrify me. But I think sometimes we can be pigeonholed into, well, this is what it's like to be happy. And so how can we really truly understand if we are seeking that happiness that you describe? Or are we actually fooling ourselves into thinking that we're happy? Good question. Do you know, I think it really is about taking the time to self-reflect. I was talking to a great friend of mine and she really indulges in a lot of solitude to just be with herself and really be present and notice what comes up for her. Where is she actually feeling that gut joy in the actions that she's taken? And it has really helped her to sculpt you know, her career with intentionality. And I think a lot of the time we can be so busy. Our life is full of interruptions and distractions whether that's social media, whether we are desensitizing ourselves through alcohol, food, overdoing it with the exercise. And all of this is when we think about gestalt theory, this is something that I'm studying through my art psychotherapy training. And the question that it asks is, when we enter into a situation or a scenario in our lives, what are the patterns that we keep bringing to that situation that disrupt us from moving into the path that we'd like to? And so desensitization is a big thing that stops people from really figuring out how can I be happy? Where am I contented? Because if we spend our lives not really feeling into sensation, not really reflecting, not really understanding ourselves and unpicking where we get stuck, why we get stuck, we end up in this really small cycle of not pushing forwards with the things that we love. So I try and support my clients to make reflection, solitude, listening to their gut or wherever they find that wisdom consistently. And it's definitely a practice I've had to hone over the years because I feel like maybe younger, I knew the areas that I wanted to go into, but I don't think I had a strong sense of self. And so it was a lot of experimentation. And then once I hit my stride, I realized actually listening to my gut my intuition is really strong. And every time I ignore it, that's when I go in the wrong direction. Can you tell us a bit about your own personal change before we kind of get into how we can embrace this change? Because I guess you've gone through it yourself. Now, what's your story of how did you get from your previous career to where you are now and being a change maker and people to do the same? Yeah. So I found myself in digital advertising And I loved the consumer psychology side of it. I love to understand why we buy things, you know, the strategic ways in which products are designed. But then working in account management, I didn't really feel stimulated. I think there was something about, yes, having that liaison with the client, you go to creative and you, you know, decipher what the product's going to be and then you sell it back into the client. I just didn't feel like I was really adding that much value. And I didn't love, per se, the brands I was working on. And a question that always came up for me was I wanted to be more creative. I was like, what does creativity mean to me? I've always been very creative, but I think my parents were very much like, no, management and marketing, art is not going to get you any, you know, you're not going to get far with art. And so I was yearning to kind of feel that passion again. So I started to take evening classes in footwear design, shoe production, 
history of fashion, styling courses, just to feel alive again. And I started to design my own footwear label. And I was very excited about creating a semi-bespoke footwear line, had some funding lined up. And then we went into recession in, in 2008. And my backers were like, oh, footwear is very expensive. Let's just park it for a couple of years and come back to it. And I sat there and I thought, okay, one night I had lots of post-it notes on the wall, just mapping out my skills, all the transferable skills that I've done, where I came alive, what were the things that excited me. And a friend introduced me to a gentleman who'd just been made redundant. And she said, you've got such a soothing nature. I think he needs someone to talk to about this, but also he needs, you know, some clothes to wear to interviews and things like that. And we had a discussion about all of his anxieties around work. You know, the, do I go and get another job? Do I start working for myself? I've only ever been an employee. Can I be an entrepreneur? What does it mean to find purpose? And I loved it. I felt like I was a sort of changing room agony on around work. I just decided to go back, study coaching. And so I was fusing personal branding work, styling, coaching, and working with individuals like him. And that really just ignited my feeling around how can I give people a bit more agency around how they think about the work that they do and, and the companies they join. From there, I began lecturing at the School of Life, which you know, for me, elevated a whole new world around philosophy and sociology, psychology, all of these different learnings, which just, I think, expanded my library, no end. But it got me having more conversations with people around meaning and purpose and life philosophy and where we get blocks and where we stop ourselves from actually making deep changes. I then was able to get a beautiful position in a tech company who wanted to really explore what it means to create a happy company that was entirely remote. So back then, that was just super unheard of. Now it's like, you know, very commonplace. Everyone's trying to be remote working. And I was their head of happiness for a couple of years. And I really mapped out a lot of the coaching for the company, thinking about how do we infuse, you know, happiness chats, thinking about what it means for people to really feel alive at work and to embrace their well-being and then that kind of ushered me into doing it for myself and over the years my training has enabled me to be very multi-dimensional in how I work with my clients so obviously I come from a coaching background but I've also studied psychology the Bhutanese models of happiness as well so a bit more mindfulness and intentionality and meditation and you know I'm in this phase now where I'm exploring therapeutic arts and how we can really learn more about how our brain engages with art and aesthetics to support us to richer well-being and you know change in different ways so I feel like my career is ever evolving and I love everything that I do and I'm just very grateful that I have the opportunity to play. I mean there's an amazing amount of resilience in your story that you're talking to me about because there's times even when you're describing it and speaking for, as a founder myself, there is times when you think, can I keep going? Can I support myself emotionally, financially? Like all of these questions comes into one's mind. And I think that's where I guess you really see that growth 
from embracing that change and taking that by the horns and saying, no, I, I can do this. And you mentioned a few things within your story, such as purpose. And I think that word is, is mentioned a lot, but actually, do we understand what that meaning is? And I think that's such a big, important part of your journey. And I've asked a few people on this podcast, what's your purpose? And they kind of just don't quite know what to say. And their immediate reaction is, well, what's yours? And so they've mirrored it straight back to me. And it's a really interesting, uncomfortable question sometimes that you can ask people. And how can we find out really what our purpose is? Because it is a big word to use and it's very complex. Yes. And it's multi-layered, it's multifaceted, and it will change as you get older. The thing that I always ask my clients to do is purpose is doing an action as well. And I don't think we can sit around and wait for it to knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here. This is your life's work. In my book, Love It or Leave It, How to Be Happy at Work, I talk about identifying strands of curiosity, um, areas where you feel excited, but your immediate inner critic is like, no, don't go there. You can't afford to. It's too late for you to try. You're too young, too old, whatever. And really start to map out what might it be like to explore this thing? And so when I think about my journey through footwear, through fashion, I was very excited about shoes. I've always loved shoes, but it was the process of me making them, you know, working with other designers, designing myself, taking photographs, sourcing, that I was able to really see what part of this do I really like? And I think we can have ideas around, you know, yes, I'm interested in doing photography. Um, that feels like a purposeful thing. Or maybe I want to, you know, create sustainable products, but yet we haven't done anything to test drive. I think that's such an important point because you write a bit about this in your book around the six cycles of change. And when you look at making that change, there's obviously going to be failures. Not obviously, that's a big word, but there might be failures involved. And for you, it's really fantastic that you look at your journey and you don't say, well, I failed so I didn't do that. You're like, I experimented and I learned and I grew and that I took learnings from that. And I think we can have a predisposition that if something doesn't work out, how we always think it will do, then that is a failure as opposed to something that's a lesson that we learn from. And if you look at leaders who I think have done this well, Steve Jobs, one of the biggest entrepreneurs. He was fired from Apple and then re-emerged 12 years later and revolutionized Apple. And he became one of the most successful CEOs in business history. But we kind of sometimes forget about his backstory of getting there. And it's through these learned lessons that I guess we do make these changes and these realizations about ourselves. So would you be able to touch upon these, these six cycles of change? I think that it's really important for people to notice where you get stuck with change and what it is. Maybe if I backtrack a bit and just really think about how do you feel about change in general? A lot of people are afraid of change. A lot of people come about change through a passive way of being. So either something has happened or there is a push in a direction or someone's opened up an opportunity and then they just move in that way. So we really need to question, how do I approach change in the first place? Am I somebody who is, you know, active and always seeking change or am I someone who's quite passive and I allow change to kind of creep up on me and then I just deal with it as it happens or am I someone who can kind of ebb and flow through it? And I think where we get stuck is that 
we reach a certain level of, of discontent. So we realize that either something is broken, something isn't quite working, we're stressed, we're anxious, you know, we've hit a brick road in our career and we have this deep discontent. But at this point, we're either just talking about it or other people can see that we're in deep discontent, but we don't really know how bad it is yet. And so we have to really think, when do we get them pushed to breaking point? And that's a different part in the cycle where suddenly the friction is intense and something needs to change. And we either you know, move into that leaning back scenario where we just kind of allow things to take its course or we move forwards and we make a declaration. We start to say, right, I am going to start a new habit. I'm going to start a new exercise regime. I'm going to cut meat out. I'm going to start speaking to recruiters about new jobs. I'm going to have a difficult conversation with my team. And what happens then is we get into doing mode and we've started to share that with other people. We've started to put ourselves out there and say, yes, this is you know, what I am doing. And then an element of fear kicks in, an element of, I don't know if I'm doing this correctly, nothing's working just yet. We can then go into maybe an introjective kind of space where we start to take on everyone else's thoughts and ideas about who we are, what we're trying to do. We can be defensive if, like you said, we've tried something, it's failed. And then there can be a little bit of projection we can be like oh no you haven't helped me enough or it's your fault and in this fear stage you can go one of two ways you can push through the fear so you either support yourself by knowing these obstacles are going to come so laying the foundations of okay I know that I generally hit the panic button when this happens and so what will I do to counteract that do I need people accountability? Do I need to have some post-it notes with some quotes or affirmations? Like what's going to help me get through that? Because we either backtrack, we go back in the cycle. If the fear gets very intense, we will stop doing anything. We'll quit before we reach a tipping point or in the dip, as Seth Godin says, we'll just kind of like completely get deflated and just let it go. So we have to notice as we go through the cycle Where am I likely to fall into this backtracking phase? And if we backtrack, we often have to start all over again. So it's noticing as you go through the cycle and really think, okay, right now, where is there a discontent in my life? Where do I feel a sort of friction point? Have other people noticed it long before I have? And actually, I'm just coming to the party about it. Or is there an element of me ignoring this big elephant in the room? What's going to then take you to breaking point? Where do you get that flash of, this is the action I need to take. This is what I'm going to do. We make the declaration to ourselves, to other people. And as you go through that process, when does the fear kick in? Is the fear there from the beginning, but you can manage your narrative, your internal chatter? Does the fear come in after you've experienced maybe a small failure or a missed opportunity? And when are you likely to backtrack and go all the way through the cycle again? And it's only when we get past this stage of wanting to backtrack that we then move into successful change making. Do you think that different personality traits handle this six cycle step better or not? Because I can think about different personality traits that could see failure and be scared of it, 
but thrive through it. And I can think of other people that would just completely become introverted and just they could not handle that amount of stress. Do you think it's important to understand one's personality traits? A hundred percent. It's like I was saying at the beginning, you know, it's really noticing in your life. Maybe if you even just did a journey, if we take career, for example, and you did a journey of the positions, the businesses that you've started, you know, how your journey has arced over your life. At each of those pivotal points of change, what drove you to that change? Did you make the decision? Were you forced into that change? Did somebody offer you an opportunity? Because then you can start to learn at each of those changing moments in my life, what propelled me to the next step? And was it when the rubber meets the road and I was definitely in this tense space? Or did I just kind of allow things to happen and then it evolved? Because then we start to learn how we move through change in our lives. And I think some people are also depending on their stress response as well. Some people, when the pressure hits, some people will get very micromanaging, very analytical, very driven by the detail. And other people might freeze completely and just be like, I can't do this. Don't know what I'm doing. And get into a place of learned helplessness and just kind of lean back and just allow it to happen. So it's noticing At each of these points, how do I set up the success when I hit these obstacles? And knowing yourself, if you thrive under pressure, then, you know, you'll create the circumstances that will give you the power to thrive then. If you know that actually I need a lot of reassurance or I really need accountability or perhaps I need to do a roadmap of all the potential mistakes I could make on the way before I even get going. Like you've really got to map that out. And say that to yourself and then figure out how do I plan for failure? How do I think about the people that I need in my ecosystem? Do I have the right personal support system? Do I have the right ecosystem of people who are influential? Do I have the right people who maybe I could collaborate with skills wise? It's all about preparation and planning sometimes. Mm, Absolutely. And I think so much about that when you're describing it takes me back to an original question that you answered about past patterns and how sometimes that can also influence these moments of change. And transactional analysis is one that we briefly touched upon on our call together, which is a theory of modern psychology. And it explains how we can enrich dealings with others and understand ourselves better. Can you give an explanation of what that means and how that can affect us internally? Yeah, so often we... From the age, from childhood, these are scripts that have been imprinted in us through our environment, our caregivers, our parents, and it gets strengthened by about seven. We rehash the story a little bit in our teens, and then it's mostly set. And so each of us is living a sort of life script, and we're either doing actions that perpetuate that script, or we're trying to realign ourselves away from a script that doesn't serve us. So it's really important to, when we think about transaction analysis, look at the ways in which you move through a scenario and where you get blocked. So are you somebody who you know, has the trait of maybe growing up and everything needed to be perfect, or you were able to get love and affection from those around you because you were pleasing them, or you fell into an adapted child way of being? An adapted child is just guess a technical way of saying you became the child that adapted the behavior that would get you the right amount of love and attention 
we have to think, you know, what are some of the traits that I think are keeping me small? Is it that of the mindset that I have to be perfect? I have to try hard. I have to please others. These different ways affect our personalities and affect how we move through life and what scripts we allow to kind of keep building and which ones we want to break down. And obviously that's where therapy is really useful to really tap into the ways that we keep ourselves small or held back from what we really want in life. I think it's just so important to reflect on all of these different facets because I think sometimes when we just say these big words such as make this change or this is your purpose or certain foundations that can be part of our core, it's actually, there's so many different areas. It's not about just having resilience to make that change. As you said, you know, it can be about patterns from your childhood and the script being written and your personality trait. And I think allowing yourself to understand that and give yourself a bit of, I would say, it's okay that you haven't figured this all out yet because there's so many different layers to understanding this. Allows you just to take a deep breath and go, do you know what? I've not got to figure it all out right now because there's a lot going on here. And I think once you give yourself a bit of that reassurance, you actually can allow yourself to take on the next challenge because you know that you can't do it all in one day. Yes. And I think, you know, the journey of our lives is journeying into ourselves. There's a great quote that came out of one of my lectures this week, and it was it's like, your soul journeying to kind of support you in life and you are journeying towards your soul. That beautiful exploration of like where the two meet and how you can really take the time to peel away the onion layers that are keeping you small, that are blocking your ability to make change, that are blocking your ability to build the relationships you want, that are blocking your perspective on life. And just notice, you know, where in my life do certain things show up? Where do I get defensive? Where do I deflect? Where do I project? How am I sitting just in a very ego state and not actually seeing the bigger landscape? And it's this constant journey with yourself that will help you to know how you react to your environment, know what your triggers are, where you tend to shy away and where you excel. And the more that you can really hone and refine that, you can put yourself in those positions to support you. Unfortunately, we don't, if we're not doing the work, we end up in roles that don't work for us. We end up in relationships that aren't quite right. We end up in scenarios that just aren't wholeheartedly the right fit. And then we wonder why we're in this cycle of unhappiness. Something that's spoken about a lot that I think connects this with the negative biases that we can have on ourselves. And we all have these, but it's how we can overcome them. So how can we kind of rewire our brains essentially to overcome these negative biases of ourselves? And something that is spoken a lot about, and I'm really interested to talk to you about this because I heard a podcast around gratitude a couple of months ago, and they were redefining, I guess, the mainstream gratitude that people talk about. So a lot of people say, you know, write three things down that you're grateful for today. And if you struggle with that, at least try to write one thing down. And this can really help build your resilience and bring out those qualities of the day that you might have forgotten about. But I think when I listened to this podcast, they were kind of actually saying that that isn't the most effective way to practice gratitude. And 
you mentioned to me around somebody's work called Dr. Rick Hansen, who spoke about gratitude also in a different way. And it's how about looking at past events that you've obviously been incredibly proud of that actually do help with this negative bias. Could you touch a bit on this and about how we could actually be looking at gratitude in a different way to inflict more of a positive emotion? So I like the work of Dr. Rick Hansen. I've done quite a few podcasts with him and he's done a lot of research into the plasticity of the brain to change. So that is basically you rewriting a lot of the neural pathways in your brain to you know, help you be better, be more motivated, be calmer, be more resilient. And he has a framework called the HEAL framework. And he says that in order for us to really elevate and be consistent and sustainable with our happiness practices, we have to, one, really notice when and have these positive experiences. So it could just be anything. The fact that your partner loaded the dishwasher, something that you don't have to do, and it's just made you feel just happy. Or, you know, the birth of your baby. It's your birthday and your friends have bought you amazing cake or you've just got that job deal. He says we have to really have those moments. I think because we're so busy, we forget to look at all of the incremental things throughout our day that are actually giving us joy and contentment. You know, we're looking for the big things, the big payday, the big client, but actually it's the small things. And he says, you know, take a moment with that emotion and to really understand how you feel, what's the sensation. And so he then says, we have to be in a place where we immerse ourselves in that motion. So really noticing in it and sponging it all up. So, and noticing it across all your five senses. So how does it feel? Does it have a smell? Can you hear it? What's in your line of sight as you think about this emotional feeling? And, you know, when we get into the nitty gritty of how this immersive experience feels, our brains absorb it better. If we take that time, he says, you know, anywhere between 30 to 60 seconds to really feel into and lean into this positive experience, we're starting to rewrite the neural pathways. We're starting to take the time to be in that moment and have that positive emotion. And he says, what then happens is we can then link positive and negative emotions to start to overwrite the negative bias. So whenever we're in a negative situation, maybe you've had an argument with a friend and you want to go down the road of like, it's all going to end. I don't like the way that she's treated me, blah, blah, blah. He's like, bring back a positive emotion about that person. Think about how they made you feel at a different period of time. How can you start to see this problem from a different angle? And this fusing of the positive emotions that you've stored in your memory bank and that you've been consistent with helps to overwrite the negative thinking. And again, we have to hold that presence for at least 30 to 60 seconds continuously. And the more that we get into this habit of immersing ourselves in emotions, and whenever we have a negative experience, thinking, what could we see that is positive about this? What emotion could we bring in about that person, this situation, a thing to help us view it from a different perspective? And I also think with our negativity bias, it's important to gain perspective. Could we ask ourselves, is this situation permanent? Is this thing going to be a really big impact on my life forever? Or is it a blip? Do I see every bad thing that happens to me as pervasive? Is it spreading all over every element of my life? Or actually, can I just contain this issue to work? 
And also, how personalized are we about everything that's going on? It's always happening to me. Do we fall into victim mode straight away? Or are we able to kind of have that level of detachment? Yeah, I think actually, because in the moment when that happens, whatever situation that is, whether it's work, relationships, friendship, health, you're wired to think the worst possible situation. And I think it's really incredible to think that we can rewire positive emotions using gratitude to actually help us come through that and see a, see a wider perspective. And I think these kind of moments can be really helpful when we know that we can actually get out of that moment and take a step back. And it's, it's like when you see a friend going through something, you always see a different perspective because you're not as emotionally involved. So you're more rational. And I guess we lose that rational side of us when we're in fight and flight. Yeah. And you know what? Our brains, we have to get that prefrontal cortex engaged again. Often when we're in a place of stress, our amygdala is taking over with like these gut actions and we need to have mindful interventions to support us to really re-engage that prefrontal cortex because that's the home of more rational thinking, more engaged and measured ways of doing and being. And so it is taking that time to pause. And so little things like if you feel agitated, stressed, or you're nervous about a situation, take a moment and think, what's a rational activity I could do? Maybe it's just a bit of coloring. Maybe it is just a game, a short game of chess, a crossword puzzle. This helps to re-engage and bring your brain back online so that you can take some spaciousness and think about it differently. And so going through all of these moments of change, throughout our lives, we all have different chapters. And you've mentioned a couple of yours. To kind of finalise and understand this as a whole, how can we understand really, I think because it can be very confusing for oneself, it's very easy to hear somebody else's story and go, oh, well, I can see where that chapter began and that chapter ended and this transition started. I think when you're in it, it can be really hard to define that. So how can we be more self-aware of understanding the different chapters in our lives and the transitions we go through? I would say that what's really helped me over the past years is voice noting and keeping a little achievement diary. You know, I've had lots of transitions in my life. Some have also been brought about because I have sickle cell anemia and I've had, you know, rough patches with my health. And so there's been definite triggers there where I'm like, actually, I can't work in that way anymore because it will just mean that I'm going to get more and more sick. And so I have to really rethink what is a better way of me working that doesn't compromise my health. So I encourage my clients to really have a little achievement diary. And I think some people think, oh, it's a bit pompous to talk about the things that you've achieved or the changes you've been through. But it's only through this documentation of knowing, gosh, I've been through something like this before. These are the tools that I used, or this really helped me when I was in this dip, or this is what I've been doing really well on at work and where I'm adding value. If we don't recall that, it's very easy to fall down the list and we'll forget it. You know, our memories aren't as great as we'd like them to be in all scenarios. And, you know, especially if you find yourself interviewing for new positions or you're, you know, stepping up into a new leadership position, you've got to have this life raft of things that can help you with your confidence and give you that ability to know, yes, I can thrive in this scenario because I've done it before these are the steps that I've taken and this is the result. But now I've got so much more learning, I could level up those steps and get to another level here. So I wouldn't say that I'm a massive journaler. I love to voice note. 
and take photos of different moments. I'm very visual like that. I've now started drawing things that for me represent change or growth in different ways. And so the same way that we take photos of babies as they're growing and you're like, oh, you were this high. We stop doing that as adults. We stop really commending ourselves for what we've done well, the things that we love, the challenges we've overcome, because all of that is a beautiful reminder of where you can get to in the future. I think that's such a nice way for people to kind of wrap up and understand the changes and complexities of change. Because if you don't take notes, you actually can't take that next step forward because you're constantly always striving for the next one without ever having any awareness of actually what you have achieved or what's not gone right or where you would like to pivot. And I think so many times we can look at other people, which you'll probably talk about along your talks and the social comparison of why am I not there yet? Or how has that person got this? Or I want what this other person has. And I think actually so much of this conversation today has been about taking note of yourself and writing that down and reapplying it to you. And sometimes just taking a breath and reassessing is one of the most powerful things we can do. And I think we're always on this journey of we've never got enough time, always time poor. And actually giving ourselves a bit more time gives us a bit more strength to take that next step and that next moment of change. And preparation can always seem very boring and a bit of a waste of time. And people can think, oh, I'd rather be getting to the next step than doing a self-reflection. And it's the same with nutrition. People don't want to look at what they've been eating. They just want to quickly being told how they can get to the next phase. But without that, I guess, self-reflection, self-evaluation, it's very hard to kind of cement those good foundations that you've achieved. So it's been really insightful, I think, for many people listening to this to reevaluate themselves. And hopefully they're going through a small checklist in their head of what's been positive for them and gratitude and so many different ways of how they can make that next change in their life and not be fearful of it. But before I go, I really want to ask you, what does live well, be well mean to you? I think Live well, be well for me means noticing that your internal change and your internal reality can really shape what's happening on the outside. And that could mean how I really honor and nourish and understand myself means I then can build better relationships with other people, notice how I'm triggered in different scenarios, notice what I can bring and how I can support others. That goes for lots of things. You know, the work that we do in our families and our communities and our companies goes to build bigger societies, bigger communities and better ways of being. So just notice that ripple effect of just a little work that you can do on yourself and how that then has a positive effect on everyone else and you know, treat others how you would love to be treated too. Such a nice way to end it. So for anyone who wants to follow you on Instagram or contact you directly or buy your book, love it or leave it, where can they head to? My website is samanthaand.co and I also have beachangemaker.co, our new program, Be Happy First, which is all about cementing great foundations for your well-being, being more confident, thinking about your rituals, that process of reflection, owning your voice, that is launching very soon. So they can check that out on beachangemaker.co. My Instagram is at Samantha and underscore or at beachangemaker.co. I will make sure I put that all on the show notes. Samantha, thank you so much for coming on to Live Well, Be Well. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. I hope you enjoyed that. And ultimately, I hope that maybe gave you some confidence and reassurance that throughout our lives, we're all going through these change processes and to not fear them, but to embrace them. Take some time for yourself today. And if you need any further support, do head to the Be Well Collective's website, which is www.bewellcollective.co.uk. We are constantly having new events up online and loads of resources to help you out. Until next time, I hope you will live well and be well.